0: We all come here today with our own suppositions and thoughts about baptism. Some of you are exploring Christianity for the first time in earnest, and that's wonderful. But to you, perhaps, baptism is simply a bit odd. A strange ritual of church convention, perhaps. Others of you were raised Catholic, and so your exposure... So the sacrament has been shaped by that particular tradition. Some have a Baptistic background. Others of you grew up Presbyterian. And I'm sure there are plenty of other situations represented that I haven't mentioned. Alexander Schmiemann once wrote that through baptism, we find the first and fundamental meaning of the church The whole of the church, he goes on to say, is in a way the explication and manifestation of baptism. This is important for us because in our day, baptism has suffered an almost disastrous loss of meaning. Baptism is a sacrament, but what, we might ask, is a sacrament. A sacrament is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. As a sign, baptism visibly signifies the thing to which it points. God's power in Christ to wash us from our sins. As a seal, baptism places the name of God on us and confers his promised blessings with his authority like a king signing a royal decree and stamping his seal on it with his signet ring. If this seems weird and foreign, it's because the church has failed to keep this understanding before us. And so baptism is more than a bare symbol. Throughout history, when Christians doubted God's love for them, they could look back and say, but I've been baptized. My baptism means something. When the devil lies to us and says we are anything other than who we are in Christ, we too can look to our baptism as our solemn admission into the church on earth and say, I'm a child of God. Although the New Testament Doesn't give us a systematic explanation of baptism. A reading of the epistles and Acts shows that baptism was deeply established in the life and practice of the church, even when it was only a few weeks old. In the Gospel of Matthew, baptism is like bookends of Jesus' ministry. His ministry starts with his baptism and ends with Jesus telling the disciples to baptize and make disciples of the nations. There are many verses we could use to talk about baptism this morning. But this morning, I want to focus on one passage by the Apostle Paul. And it's perhaps the most memorable and important thing he says about the subject Let's read Romans 6, 1 through 11. This is God's Word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin Die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Father, now we thank you for this your holy word. We believe and are confident that your word is truth. Sanctify us now through it, through the proclamation of your word, and may we glean the wisdom and power of it and be transformed by it, convinced and convicted by it, that we may leave this place differently than the way we came in. In Christ's name we do pray, amen. Well, for those of you who don't know, we just finished preaching through the book of Romans, and I did it in 10 months. We did it in 10 months, and another pastor friend of mine said, wow, I think that's a record. Famous preachers have taken years, decades to preach through Romans, and one thing I realized preaching through Romans is that Paul is deep and profound, but his words are not always the simplest to understand. In the immediate context of this passage, Paul is dealing with a moral question. Some people apparently had evidently believed that since grace abounded over all their sins by faith in Jesus Christ, they could go on to sin with impunity. They could continue to sin in order that grace may abound. Nonsense says Paul. Why not? Because you were baptized into Christ Jesus. It's instructive for us that Paul doesn't say, you were saved, or you believed, or you were born again, or even you have the Holy Spirit. But simply, you were baptized into Christ. Now, if that statement doesn't have any punch, it's because we fail to see the practical import of baptism in our daily lives. We think baptism is merely a matter of what we believe or our theology. And besides that, maybe there isn't much application to our lives other than what we believe about baptism. What's also instructive for us when we talk about this issue is that the question that Paul is addressing here isn't a theological one, but an ethical one. He's mainly interested in what baptism means for our daily lives. He wants to counter the charge of antinomianism, or simply put, that God's free grace means we can live lawless lives. Look at what he says in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. I don't know that the way I just read that statement conveys the force of Paul's sentiment in his words. There is, after all, an exclamation mark there. Maybe Paul, when he wrote it, was shaking his head, saying, No. By no means. How can we, who die to sin, still live in it? This is the context of Paul's statement about baptism. It's about how we live, it's about the way we approach our daily lives. And so when Paul says dies to sin, what does he mean? When did we die to sin? Well, in our baptism. We don't sin with impunity because following Christ is, and this is the key that Paul wants us to get. So if you don't take anything away from today, take this point away. Following Christ is a baptized way of living. Following Christ is a baptized way of living. There are lots of expressions of baptism in our culture, especially in movies, which is odd because baptism is such a uniquely Christian thing. One of the more remarkable or memorable examples is a humorous scene from the movie, O Brother, Where Art Thou?, in which the outlaw Delmar gets swept up in the excitement of the moment as he and his fellow outlaw travelers Happen upon a processional of people heading toward a river where a minister stands, baptizing new converts one by one. And Delmar runs headlong into the water and almost forces himself into the minister's arms, who proceeds to baptize him. When he comes up out of the water, Delmar says, Well, that's it, boys. I've been redeemed. The preacher done washed all my sins and transgressions. It's a straight and narrow from here on out, and heaven everlasting's my reward. The preacher said all my sins been washed away, including that piggly wiggly I knocked over in Yazoo. To which Everett, played by George Clooney, interjects, "I thought you said you was innocent of those charges." And Delmar replies, "Well, I was lying." And the preacher said that that sin's been washed away too. Neither God nor man's got nothing on me now, boys. Come on in. The water is fine. It's a great movie. And it's a great scene. And while you might not want to base your baptismal theology off of that scene, it does illustrate that we're supposed to live out our baptism, and that because we've been baptized, something about us and the way we live is different. Or you could say because of the event that Delmar experienced, he would spend the rest of his life living into his baptism. Whether you were baptized last year or decades ago, Your baptism represents a reality. You belong to a community. You aren't of the world and its lusts and desires. You march to the beat of a different drum. Why? What happened in our baptism? Verse 3, Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so baptism unites us to Christ's death and resurrection. You can write that down, too, if you're taking notes. What Paul wants us to know about baptism is that through baptism, we're united to Christ's death and resurrection. Paul states it another way in Galatians. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Baptism, Paul is saying, is the most powerful way to identify with Jesus Christ. It is the most powerful way to identify with his death and resurrection because it represents the powerlessness of the world and the law's claim on us why because in baptism our life in Adam is crucified that is the entire context of chapter five of Romans which informs what Paul says in chapter six he's been talking about the difference between the first Adam and the second Adam and that informs Paul's words about identification with Jesus through baptism Baptism is our life in Adam being crucified and identifying with the second Adam, Jesus. Now to pivot, what does all of this mean for Josiah Roy, whom we just baptized? How can this be true of him? He isn't aware of any of this. I mean, maybe if he could talk, he could say, actually, I understood far more than you realize. He has no clue what really just happened to him. He's barely learning to talk and to eat and to think and to walk. Well, when I started this, I said that baptism was a sign It's a symbol of something. It isn't a guarantee that someone is saved. It isn't proof that conversion happened. That's true for children and adults. It isn't evidence that someone has truly repented, no matter what their age. It's none of those things I would propose to you this morning. It is a visible sign of inclusion. It says... You are not an outsider. It says everything that Christ's death and resurrection means is available to you because you belong to the community of faith. It is available. And that belonging isn't necessarily by choice but by grace. The biggest thing we miss, the thing that's lost on us, I believe, as modern people, is the sociology of the Bible. In our sort of modern, rugged individualism, we fail to appreciate the communal, corporate, and covenantal nature of Scripture. God never sees families merely as a group of individuals. Think of Abraham, who receives a covenantal promise to his descendants and is told to circumcise Isaac, who knows nothing about God's promise to him. Think of Moses' mother, Jochebed, who prays for him and carefully places him in a basket of reeds, and sends him down the river. And God answers. Think of Hannah, who offers Samuel to God for his service. Think of the Shunammite woman, whose faith in the prophet Elisha's power brought her son back to life. Or in the New Testament, think of Jairus, who believes in Jesus on behalf of, of his dying daughter. It was his faith in Jesus that brought his daughter back to life. In each of these examples, the faith of a parent counts for their children. That is the sociology of the Bible. The faith and actions of a covenantal head count for those they represent. What we are saying is that this child's parents' faith counts for him for now. Josiah Roy's being presented for baptism by his believing parents shows us that we're not left to fend for ourselves, that the covenant of grace is anything but every man for himself. We're not left to fend for ourselves. None of us are isolated individuals, but we're part of a community. And it's in this community of faith that we grow and we learn. Josiah's baptism is an admission into the visible community of faith. He's not an outsider to this community until he expresses faith. He isn't on his own. None of us are, even right now. Whether you're 40, 50, 60, 70, or 80, you're not on your own. You are part of a covenant community who are believing things on your behalf for you, and they are praying things to God on your behalf for you. Even the Spirit himself intercedes for us for the things we cannot believe or are unable to articulate in prayer. We are never fully on our own. We are a part of a community, a great cloud of witnesses, as the Bible calls it. And an innumerable host of heaven join us in this great community. We are not alone. We are not individuals. We are a covenant community before God. And so just as his parents feed him until he can feed himself, unless something catastrophic happens... They will teach and read him God's word until he can read God's word himself. Until he can articulate his own faith. And even when he articulates his own faith, it may not be a real faith. It may develop over years and years. And only God knows that moment of conversion and only God knows that time when his articulation of faith is true. But that's sort of beside the point. The point is God gives us one another a covenant community of others who walk this road with us and help to mature us and believe things for us and with us and join us in prayer to God. When Josiah Roy is tempted to stray her sin, mom, dad, encourage him to live into his baptism. Tell him every day he's a child of God. Tell him to live into his baptism. I want to encourage each of you to live into your baptism. To look back on the significance of that event, not as a one-time thing, but as an ongoing reality that informs the decisions you make every day as an event of great significance in which God placed his ownership on you. And I encourage you this morning to embrace a baptized way of living. Amen, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you now for Josiah Roy and for his parents and his family that are here with him today and those that could not make it. We thank you, O God, as we look to the group of people surrounding him, providing care to do things for him that he can't do. Knowing, O God, that he is, even at this moment, being shaped by decisions that are made on his behalf, and that is the way you have ordained it, O God, for each of us, for every human being. We don't raise ourselves, but we grow up in a community of people who care for us and feed us and protect us. Oh God, we pray now that you would bless Josiah Roy, that he would live into his baptism, that he would live out of his baptism, and that you would in turn help each one of us, O oh God, to think back, as Paul said, on our baptism to think about the decisions we make every day to glorify you and obey you and understand we don't have a license to sin because we've been baptized into Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.